The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. You really want to change something, then you better have a plan to get it done. And here's what I want to change. I want an economy that doesn't just work for those at the top. That means we need more power in the hands of workers. Make it easier to join a union and give unions more power when they negotiate. Unions built America's middle class, and unions will rebuild America's middle class. And there's another way we can make this economy work for everyone. It's time for a wealth tax in America. So Elizabeth Warren, who I think is going to be the nominee, I hate to say it, I don't think it's going to be Biden. I think Elizabeth Warren, and I've made this statement a few times when I saw her out there whitewashing her past, doing her apology tour, talking about how, yeah, I might have messed up trying to pretend I was Native American. She's even removed the video of her taking the test that resulted in the 1-1024th bloodline of Native Americanism. So we know that she's doing damage control now because her poll numbers are good and they're right behind Biden's. It really depends on this next debate as to whether or not she strikes at Biden or whether she kind of holds back, lets everybody circle fire, you know, at the end of True Romance or the uh, where everybody comes in the room and everybody starts shooting at everyone else and Christian Slater grabs the suitcase, grabs his girl, and then skates out in the middle of the gunfire. Is that what Elizabeth Warren's going to do? I don't know. But she's proposing a wealth tax, which we'll get into that, and the strengthening of unions. It's pretty funny when you think about it because a couple of news organizations who were unionized, yeah, they all collapsed. Think Progress just closed its doors and laid off 12 employees. Think Progress. Can you believe that? I mean, that's amazing because they were ones that were all propped up. They were ones, in fact, one of the articles actually states that. It said, Think Progress has run a deficit for years. You wonder how CNN can run a deficit in in the ratings? Do you wonder? I mean, most of these news outlets, so-called news outlets, they don't have viewership. They don't have listenership. They don't have an audience. The main judge, the main metrics of realizing whether or not you have a television audience is ratings. So how do they operate with ratings so ridiculously low? And that's because somebody's propping them up. Think Progress had a little prop, you know? And and that's one of the things people have to realize is there's people willing to prop up these businesses because it benefits them, ideologically speaking. And yes, Fox News may be the torchbearer for ratings and 24-hour news, But you have to look at how a culmination and a collectivization of news outlets are probably more effective than one singular strong news outlet. You know, you've got CNN, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, USA Today. They're all combined and parroting the same, same ideology, the same news items, the same spin. So they can actually be more effective, even though the ratings aren't there. And think progress finally had to give in because eventually they do. No one could purchase it. The economic uh, viability had gone so far that at a certain point you're going, okay, if it's been this dead for this many years, you can't revive it. Let's just move on to something else. So 
Yeah, that happened. Bye-bye, think progress. We can all scream happy sounds of joy over that. <laughs> and it's interesting because when you think of the, the concept of the labor union, you know, back in the day, it was somewhat maybe you could make a case for it because the people running the corporations or the, you know, the industries, much of which was manufacturing, um, they were just going to get the job done no matter what. So if that meant not really taking care of your employees, well, so be it. <laughs> but these days, there's a lot of at-will states. Virginia's an at-will state. And what an at-will state is, is an employer can fire somebody whenever he wants. And that person can get a job somewhere else where, whenever they want. So they're not stuck to a labor union and it actually works out better for the employee because if the employee just works based on performance and results, they get elevated. Imagine that. Not all the time. Sometimes employers are, are really bad at recognizing talent and really don't take into account how they could utilize skill sets, but a lot of them do. So you're never going to have justice. You're never going to have equality because there's two things at work. Yeah, the mean old corporation who makes all the money that you're going to tax with the wealth tax may not be giving you the raise you deserve, but you know what? You can go somewhere else. You can try to move within your field with a different organization that operates in that field. You can try to unionize privately, make your own union, but a government-funded one? No. And this is, there's some unintended consequences when you do give in to the unions because the unions will then protect someone from losing their job. And in doing so, that protection gives them a laissez-faire attitude about work. <laughs> and they're like, well, there is no consequence to doing a subpar job. So subpar work comes out. Subpar output goes to the company and it ends up negatively affecting them. So, that gets into the rise of the $15 minimum wage. You know that argument. Because the unions are fighting for that. So what are the options for businesses? Many businesses that can automate or use technology are thinking about doing it. Oh, but what happens when the, uh, the union steps in again? This is an actual story. And it's really interesting when you think about it. Union-backed ballot initiative would limit grocery stores to two self-checkout machines. So the unions are now going to fight to have a legal standard of how much automation and technology a company can utilize because of the rising wage cost. You know, when you're looking at, a, at an income statement, you're looking at the revenue coming in, and then you got to think of the operating cost. Wages, uh, marketing, you know, all of that comes into effect. If you're a manufacturing company, you think of that after you've paid for the cost of goods, you know, to produce. So that's the thing. When you get into that, they're going to start to go, well, it may cost me a lot of money up front to switch over to an automated system. But over time, depreciation, not having to pay that chunk in labor on a, on a yearly basis, it'll even itself out, might even be more profitable. So they're going to make that decision. So when you then mandate whether or not somebody can operate with a certain amount of automation, well, then you're forcing them into higher wage labor. And then they're going to respond in kind with whether or not they actually want to operate their business at that level. Maybe they had multiple chains. Maybe they decide, well, we'll close some of them because we can't handle the cost. Yeah, labor unions in Oregon, this is from Reason, are taking aim at a new threat to the working man, self-checkout machines. The Oregon chapter of the AFL-CIO, a federation of unions in the state, submitted their first batch of uh, signatures required to get Grocery Store Service and Community Protection Act on the 2020 state ballot. The measure would forbid Oregon's grocery stores from operating more than two self-checkout machines at a time. The wide-scale use of self-checkout machines in our grocery stores is part of a deliberate corporate strategy that relies on automation to reduce labor costs and eliminate jobs. 
They don't want to eliminate jobs. I've made the case a few times where, you know, think of the personal a touch that you get, that connection that you get from an actual human. Groupon has a really amazing customer service or uh, arm of their business because they have call centers in America. Imagine that. They're not outsourcing it to some place out in the middle of India. So you get someone who can culturally relate and can also understand what you're talking about. They're not trained in, into trying to figure out how to loophole it real quick to get you uh, the results that you want. So you don't feel like you're just talking to the wind. You actually are getting results from somebody within the borders. I'm not saying you can't outsource it. If you can make it effective, yeah, go ahead and do it. But a lot of times these companies don't, and people feel like they're not being heard. So if you have a, a reasonable labor cost, there could be businesses like Johnny Rockets, you know, the burger chain. Uh, people get up and start singing every so often, they, and, and that adds a, a, a level of experience and uh, an atmosphere to the business. You know, having uh, back in the day when people used to pump gas, well, if you didn't jack up those prices, you might have somebody come up, pump your gas for you, you know, do your windshields. But when you jack labor up, some of that is going to get sacrificed. And in doing so, the automation, for the most part, nine times out of 10 is going to be pretty daggone accurate. <laughs> so that's a, uh, an unintended consequence of labor unionization. Then you've got another article that I thought was really crazy. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you heard that story. There was a vegan restaurant uh, that basically they wanted to stick it to the patriarchy. So they wanted to go ahead and uh, charge men a man tax. 18% more than females. Yeah, this is from uh, the Hayride. Um, <laughs> a lesbian-owned vegan cafe in Australia charged an 18% man tax, and now they're out of business after only being in business for less than two years. <laughs> Amazing. The Handsome Her. It's a restaurant made headlines in 2017 when it announced its rules for seating arrangements. Female customers got preference and men had to pay an 18% tax to eat there. Yeah, that's great. Just uh, shove half of your business out of the marketplace. <laughs> the tax was described as a way to protest the gender pay gap. And it backfired and it ended up closing their business. The general public didn't like the idea, arguing the man tax discriminated against and alienated half the population. Handsome Her's owner, Alex O'Brien, said that was exactly what, why lesbians must dismantle the patriarchy. Here's what they posted in response to backlash and going out of business. When we opened the Handsome Her, it reminds me of Portlandia, where the, uh, the women and women first bookstore the handsome her in 2017, we expected that perhaps we might stir through our brazen public discussions of structural inequality and oppression. The man tax blew up the Internet, an idea we didn't think was all too radical. Yet the way the world responded showed, showed us how fragile masculinity is and solidified the necessity for us to confront and dismantle the patriarchy. We are just one little tiny shop on Sydney Road that was trying to carve out a swath of space to prioritize women and women's issues, and suddenly we became the punching bag of the Internet. We strive to bring lesbianism back into fashion. Is it not? I mean, it's basically in every TV show, every movie, every music video, every song. It's constantly in our face, but that's another story. So, yeah, the man tax didn't work out. <laughs> the handsome her closed her doors handsomely with nothing to show. And that's the thing. When you get into taxes, they can dictate behavior. So this wealth tax that Elizabeth Warren's talking about, which a lot of these people, they reinvest that money into their companies. They don't just take all this money. The CEO isn't just sitting on bags of money going, ah, I got all the money out of the business. They reinvest it. They grow the business. They expand the business. They refurbish its infrastructure. They do research and development to move in better directions and more efficiency, and they hire more people. But when you economically cripple these people with wealth tax, they can't do it. They're going to take what they can, 
and they're going to just try to ride the storm out until somebody can change legislation or they go out of business. So that's what happens with your wealth tax. You know, if you're going to put taxes on cigarettes because you're going to curb cigarette tax usage and you're going to take money from that to fund other things, what do you think a wealth tax means? You know, if you have a, it even goes down to just any type of tax or toll. Think about toll roads. A lot of times people see a toll bridge or they find out, oh, we're on a toll road. They're going to try to find an alternate route. Now, some people will just bite the bullet, pay the tax, pay the toll, ride on through. Well, that's because they want the convenience and they have the ability to do so. But most people are going to go out of their way to avoid the toll. So they may take an exit. They may take a little trip around. It may take them a few minutes longer, but they're not paying it. And they will make those decisions. And so when you are imposing your wealth tax, sounds great to the working class. You're going to stick it to the man and fund the government. But you're really kind of you're really kind of penalizing success, penalizing wealth. And then if you're going to do it in some sort of reparations manner, you're going to be like the handsome her. Just taxing half of a nation and closing everyone down for business. Sponsor for this portion of the program is Patriot Mobile. Look, you give your money for cell phone service. You give your money to different businesses out there. And what do they do? They turn around and use it for different progressive ideas and progressive causes and put money behind things like Planned Parenthood and, and anti-Second Amendment rights organizations. Well, Patriot Mobile is an option for you as far as cell phone service that you can pay in to a great service and at the same time support causes that you would want to support, like the National Rifle Association, you know, going against Planned Parenthood. All you have to do is call 1-877-367-7524. You keep your, keep your phone number, you bring your own phone, or you can buy a new one. Patriot Mobile is America's only conservative cell phone company. It's reliable, has nationwide service, no hidden fees. They donate a portion of their profits to organizations fighting for the First and Second Amendments, family values, small government, and pro-life organizations. You've got the Moto Z3 Play. $5 a month, limited time only if you use the promo code 5 when you call 1-877-367-7524 or visit PatriotMobile.com. You can use your cell phone every day. Patriot Mobile provides the opportunity for you to use your cell phone to make a change. You know, Big Mobile, like we said, supports values that you don't believe in, like Planned Parenthood, abortion, open borders, liberal candidates. Make the switch to PatriotMobile.com and support your values. Be sure to call 877-367-7524. That's 877-367-7524. So we're fighting the good fight. You know, you got the vegan lesbians out there. They're standing up for that gender pay gap, that the elusive gender pay cap. It's right out there with the elusive gun show loophole. And they're going to fight if it means their own business. They're going to collapse and die on that sword because they're doing it for the women because they've been so wronged for so long. You know, suffrage has never been completely achieved. We can't talk about the, the right to vote. We can't talk about the fact that we had Hewlett Packer uh, CEOs that were female. The fact that the Devo was it uh, Davos, uh, the, the economic summit over there, <laughs> In Gen was it Geneva? It was nothing but female CEOs. But we have to, you know, pander to uh, women because we gotta. We have to make everybody a downtrodden cl second class, and 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 in their own little tribe. We have to we have to place people in little bubbles, and we have to say, well, you're oppressed because of this, and you're oppressed over here because of this, and you're oppressed because of this. But if you elect me, I can make all that oppression. And not really go away, but it'll look like it's going away until I remind you that we just haven't we just haven't achieved what we need to. We got to work harder. Yeah, so that kind of garbage is going on. And while we're fighting this and sacrificing our own businesses, apparently women cannot find a male to meet who isn't economically destitute. This is the Ivy League version of I don't want no scrubs. This is a real study that was done through Cornell University that said a shortage of economically attractive men. There's not enough men who are economically attractive. 
that may be one of the reasons why marriage is on the decline. Now, marriage is at its lowest in about 150 years in America, the marriage rate. Uh, now, what do they mean by economically unattractive? They said it's somebody who either doesn't have a bachelor's degree, so that's prospects, or a stable job making $40,000 a year or more. Uh, they said one reason might be education. Uh, the lead author said, this is a rough quote, Many young men today have little to bring to the marriage bargain. And he talked about how women are going to school more because they want to you know, bring more to the table to get better jobs. Um, I'll say this. This is your sort of piece of money advice. And this doesn't just come from me. It comes from Warren Buffett. He says that the biggest, most powerful choice you will ever make in your life is choosing the right person for the right reasons. And that will make a big difference in your success. Yeah, thank you for that bit of wisdom. But see, I thought that the women were the ones behind the eight ball, not getting paid like you should. The men out there were supposedly just raking in all the dough because they're white privileged men and it's the patriarchy. But they don't have degrees. They don't have money. They don't have a job. How does that happen? <laughs> so then we have to at least find ways in the culture to raise up our women. Remember the whole Captain Marvel thing? Look, a strong feminine superhero is going to fight the patriarchy and fight toxic masculinity. We get that kind of garbage. We find out in Australia that they're lowering the standards on getting engineering degrees for women because they want more people to get in the STEM field, you know, science, technology, engineering, uh, mathematics, and what have you. And then we get Hasbro to the rescue Hasbro launches a new version of Monopoly in celebration of female game changers. It's a fun new take on a game that creates a world where women have an advantage often enjoyed by men, Hasbro explained the concept behind the new version called Ms. Monopoly. Girl power! This is Hasbro. Hasbro is launching a new version of the iconic board game that celebrates female trailblazers. Instead of investing in real estate properties like the classic game, players invest in inventions and innovations made by women, including chocolate chip cookies and bulletproof vests. Unlike the classic game, women will collect 240 Monopoly bucks when they pass go, while male players will collect the usual 200. It's a New, fun take on the game that creates a world where women have the advantage and often enjoyed by men, said the creators. Yeah, I don't remember $200 for passing go being gender specific. Everybody kind of got that. So now we have to lift up the women artificially. Where are feminists going to come in on this? Are they going to say, um, we don't need your extra little help. We don't need you to go... Here you go, pumpkin. Here's an extra 40 spot. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Why are we trying to act as though women are so oppressed? And you know what? The comics are revolting. We talked about Dave Chappelle, but apparently now Bill Burr has a comedy special on Netflix, and I'll be sure to be queuing that up. He's actually really funny, too. And he was on Chappelle's show. But he, uh, he, I love the bit that he does about, you know, with his newly uh, married wife. And we like to go out and she goes, can we go to the candle store? Let's go to the candle store. Yeah, that's great. Let's go to the candle store. Sounds like a blast. But he apparently has ripped in to feminism, ripped into woke culture, and uh, the feminists are not happy. Of course, they never are. But apparently, we're having to make all these concessions. You know, we're having to get out there and give $240 for pass and go from Hasbro and lowering standards in Australia for engineering. Can't wait to go across those bridges. Yeah. Can't wait to go up in those structures. That's going to be a fun ride. Maybe they can rebuild the Sydney opera house. <laughs> and then the, the moment they hit the Brown note, the entire ceiling collapse. I don't know. I think it's ridiculous that they have to make these concessions and step forward just because they're trying to, Fight the patriarchy. How about we just treat everyone equally? Because it's a political motive. It has to be oppression to advance politics. Sponsor for this portion of the program is Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running, worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops is a veteran-owned company that funds education and demining. Everything Combat Flip Flops manufactures is made in an area of conflict or post-conflict, like Afghanistan, Colombia, Laos, and you can check out more about Combat Flip Flops by checking out the TED Talk by Combat Flip Flops CEO Matt Griffin on YouTube. You can also use the promo code SLADE25 and you will get 25% off 
of your first purchase. Go to CombatFlipFlops.com. That's CombatFlipFlops.com. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. Now, I know that we've kept this show pretty light in the very beginning with the idea of stupid uh, automation uh, regulations by the unions and what have you, and by the lesbian vegan shop. And really, there's another story about how Bill de Blasio wants to provide a robot tax. You know, he's going to tax the robots. And it's actually come to light that you know, de Blasio has a great work ethic. You know, he would actually, New York would probably benefit from automation in the mayor's office because he's only been to work in a month of seven hours. Seven hours in one month. Amazing. It's probably to the benefit of New York because we don't need that guy around. And I'm not in New York, but no one needs that guy around. But really, we need to take a moment and uh, remember 9-11 such a tragic uh, situation back in uh, 18 years ago. And uh, I don't want to, you know, go this week without taking at least a moment to remember those that had to make the choice as to whether to burn alive or jump out of a building at 80 floors high. You know, I, I couldn't imagine having to make that decision. The fact that the Pentagon, which I've actually been to the Pentagon Memorial, I haven't been to the New York one, but the Pentagon one, it's really, it's pretty amazing because they have benches out in the area. Like we went through the chapel. There's a chapel built where the plane hit. And if you go out into the, into the field, into the uh, courtyard, um, they have benches and the benches are named by each individual and they're grouped in ages. And so you have a giant cluster in, you know, the thirties, forties, but there are a couple benches alone by themselves off to the side that were like, you know, two years old. You know, it's just really it was a devastating thing. And so we know that we ended up striking back in Afghanistan, which apparently there was a rocket attack at the U.S. Embassy in Afghanistan on the anniversary of 9-11. I haven't gotten the full details on that yet, but, uh, you know, we, we At the time, a lot of Americans didn't understand the ideology. And I was talking about this with somebody the other day. You know, we, we struck back and then we started looking at things, at least this is the way the Bush administration looked at it, that, okay, Saddam Hussein, he's out there touting weapons, which he did under the Clinton administration a lot. And Clinton, he sent planes in there and bombed them, but he never did anything more than that. It was all for show. And then he would send the weapons inspector back in and, Weapons would be gone, and then the weapons inspector would leave, and then we would see, oh, they might have weapons again, and then they would try to send them back in, and they wouldn't let them come back in, and oh, they'll let them come back in, and then he goes in, there's nothing there, and he leaves. That circus clown show went on the entire mid to late 90s. So after 9-11 happens, Bush decides, okay, we've had this guy barking all day about his weapons, let's go ahead and neutralize him and make some changes. And the idea that was given to every American was, oh, if we just give them a taste of democracy, then they will end up flourishing like South Korea. And then that democracy will spill over into other countries and it will be your Arab Spring. Well, guess what? (laughs) No one told us about the ideology. No one told us about how they're governed under Sharia law and how they will die fighting to maintain that oppression that democracy is not something that comports with their ideology, their worldview. And if you look at it now, you're going, (laughs) we either should have colonized the place and taken the oil, or we should have just hoped that they wouldn't bomb us because they hate us. They're coming, right, Europe? You've already started your caliphate over there. But, yeah, I just wanted to take a moment to think about, you know, the the devastating loss, 3,000-some lives, you know, the, it was, I remember it vividly. Um, I don't want to get into my experience of it because it's not nearly as, as you know, uh, important as those who actually lived through it or were directly affected by it. But as an American, innocence was lost. We were walking around like, oh, my gosh, at any time we can be attacked now. 
I mean, luckily, I live down here near one of the biggest Navy bases. And while all the other planes were grounded for weeks at a time, we weren't. Sounds of freedom were buzzing over our head. And it was actually kind of a calming effect. You know, we, I remember before 9-11, we used to get mad. We're like, it's always the sunny day that the, that the hornets have to go flying by and shaking stuff off of your, your fireplace mantle. You know, I used to joke and say, I can see Goose on his helmet so close. And people actually had bumper stickers that were like, we got to do something about the jet noise and blah, blah, blah. And then after 9-11, there was bumper stickers that said, bring on the jet noise. Sounds of freedom. We loved it. Because we knew that we were the strong nation that we'd always be and that if somebody were to take on another attempt at that level, we would take steps to neutralize it. But what doesn't happen is the left. They never quit. Their egregious garbage continues. And one of the things, I think it was the New York Times, it was kind of, it was a silly thing, but it, it was, shows how unaware of their self-awareness that their, their lack of self-awareness and their, you know, the premise for all of their articles is not of patriotism and, and, a, and a love for the country. This is what they put out. 18 years had passed since airplanes took aim and brought down the world trade center. Today, families will once again gather and grieve at the site where more than 2000 people died. Airplanes actually it was terrorists flying those airplanes. It wasn't just airplanes that did it. And I know you can kind of go on this whole thing. Well, you know, uh, you're kind of looking too far into it. And he actually deleted, they actually deleted the tweet, said we have deleted an earlier tweet to this story and have edited it for clarity, which I basically said, you need to delete your account for clarity. But the New York Times had something earlier this week that was even more egregious. They praised Mao from China, the Chinese dictator, Mao talking about he was a revolutionary that would grow to prominence. Well, New York Times, again, we've deleted a previous tweet about Mao Zedong that lacked critical historical context. Yeah, that he was a communist murdering <laughs> zealot. So there's other things that also happened on 9-11 that were e equally egregious by the left. There is a video of when the... When, when the Twin Towers had fallen, you know, at the time, Donald Trump, before he was even thinking about being president, I guess he ran for the Reform Party a little bit before this, but he, you know, he's still the real estate guy. Everybody still loved him. Hip-hop singers were still rapping about him. People were watching his show, The Apprentice and Celebrity Apprentice, and they still thought he was a great business guy. He wasn't a Republican yet, so they weren't ready to pounce and strike on him and, and basically call him Hitler. But at the time, he was a real estate mogul who, you know, he's somebody to go to when something like this happens. And so there's an article out where they're basically saying that Trump was out there bragging about how his, his tower is now, after the World Trade Center's collapsed, his tower is now the tallest tower. So they're making it out to be like this guy is this a-hole who's like, thank God those towers are knocked down, now my tower is the biggest. And this guy, Philip Bump, put it out. He's a national correspondent for Washington Post. He put out this uh, tweet with his article about how Trump is out, was bragging about his tower being the biggest tower. And I noticed a video floating around that I kind of saved. I was going to go back and listen to it. And then when I did, it was the full video of what he was talking about. Now, people are taking little clips where he's being asked about, you know, what he thought about everything down there and he's given perspective based off of the size of his tower it's not that he was out there bragging about it he was actually but if you only play the little clip you can make a case that he's bragging but if you listen to the full clip in context you hear what he actually was getting at tough situation donald uh, you have one of the landmark buildings down in the financial district 40 wall street uh, did you have any damage or did you know what, what's happened down there? Well, it was an amazing phone call I made. 40 Wall Street actually was the second tallest building in downtown Manhattan. And, and it was actually before the World Trade Center was the tallest. And then when they built the World Trade Center, it became known as the second tallest. And now it's the tallest. And I just spoke to my people and they said it's the most unbelievable site. It's 
probably seven or eight blocks away from the World Trade Center, and yet Wall Street is littered with two feet of stone and brick and mortar and steel, and there are thousands of people walking over the, the debris over the Brooklyn Bridge, where they're sending them out over the Brooklyn Bridge to Brooklyn, and then I guess they're going to have to figure out how to get home from there. But they have between a foot and two feet of debris uh, right in front of a building that's probably, you would say, Alan, six or seven blocks away. Donald, this is Roland Smith. Uh, hi, Roland. You know, hi, how you doing I, on this kind of day? You know, at some point, we're going to put all this behind us, and you as a visionary, particularly in, uh, in New York real estate, what do you think that we ought to do as a city, as a people, uh, when all of this gets, when the morning stops, when, when the dead are, are honored, and, uh, and we've found out what caused it and maybe corrected it? What does the city need to do? Well, I guess the big thing that, that you really will have to do is never forget. You just can't forget that something like this happened. Yeah, he actually starts to talk about never forgetting this tragic incident. If you leave all of that out... They do this with the Bible, you know, all the kids at the detention centers, what we do for the least of these or whatever, you know, they, they, they get on this whole thing where they cherry pick verses out of the Bible. They do that with videos. They do that with, uh, with details like this thing, a whole, this whole thing about this Russian spy, the whole time they're like, well, Trump got into office and that meant that he was, he was going to be really egregious and, and rambunctious and and all over the place with Russian intel that could cause this guy to lose his life. A Russian asset that was put into place who got into high ranks within the Russian government and they wanted to extract him because they were afraid, oh, Donald Trump, he might get out there and say stuff that might endanger the guy's life. Well, they asked him to come home and he said no. So we have to think, was he a double agent? Because he's fine staying there. And we know what Putin does to uh, other spies. Likes to hit them with poison, like what happened in England. So then they go to him again. And they're like, oh, we need to get you out of there. Because you made, your life is in danger. And so he's like, okay, let's bring you back to the United States. Well, what the media left out is all the information... <laughs> That the CIA was saying uh, this, this had nothing to do with Trump. This had to do with a lot of stuff that was being leaked to the media that was starting to be de declassified because it was related to the investigations into the Russian in interference and the possible Russian hacking into the DNC servers, which we know we know that the Russians didn't hack it. I mean, FBI didn't even investigate it. CrowdStrike did. But this entire story was happening under Obama before Trump got into office. And it was around the fact that his safety was being harmed while he's in Russia as a CIA agent or a CIA asset because the news media was putting his life in danger. And now they've got these stories. Well, we know his name and we know where he's going to live. Is the news media doxing this guy? I mean, hey. It's like they pulled a K file, you know, that, that guy, uh, Andrew, what's his name? Uh, used to work for Buzzfeed now works for CNN. He's the guy who decided to uncover the guy who made the CNN wrestling meme. And we're going to put out his home address. Oh, the guy who made the Nancy Pelosi video. He's a forklift driver lives, you know, they dox people, which means they put your personal information out all over the web so that people who may have a grudge will come and get you. Well, they're doing this to a Russian asset. So the media can't take a day off for 9-11 to remember. They have to find a way to twist it on Trump. The media can't leave a Russian asset to safety because of the fact that they want to say, well, he was brought back because of Trump, and now we got to dox him and let everybody know where he is. The media is the enemy of the people, and they don't want to think that they are, but they sure as hell act like it. All right. Now, I had some stories I wanted to cover. I may have to cover them next time. One of the ones I wanted to cover was this new business model that takes capitalism to build their business model into a socialist utopia of pods that people can sleep in and they, they pay a subscription fee and then they get all their necessities and their toiletries and everything 
just given to him under the subscription price. Sounds swell. Or the story about the gay penguins who are raising a genderless penguin. Yeah. But there was a couple stories that popped up that really kind of brought the show full circle because, you know, we started out with Elizabeth Warren and her communist uh, platform. We're going to end with Elizabeth Warren and some revelations, um, one of which is guess who's helping Elizabeth Warren? Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that'll go over well. Being that Elizabeth Warren is already pretty unlikable, like Hillary Clinton, why not add another dollop of unlikability by putting Hillary Clinton on the campaign? So she's helping out, but she did something amazing that had to be covered. She went over to Italy, and apparently there is, in Venice, there is an art exhibit that is a lifelike version of the Oval Office with a resolute desk. And Hillary Clinton shows up, and she sits behind this desk as though she's president. And what does she do? She reads 62,000 pages of emails. Of emails! I'm not, I'm not lying! You're, do you remember what I was saying in the last few episodes about the Clintons? Like with the Epstein death? You know, do something really egregious as a middle finger to everybody? That's the Clinton rule. Remember what the Clintons do. They engage in corrupt activity to benefit themselves, and then after they get away with it and walk right out the door... They do something in public as a giant middle figure to us all, gloating about it. They, you know, she thinks her fans are going, look, there's Hillary Clinton. This is what it would be like if she was president. She's giving you the middle finger. She deleted emails. She did, I mean, all of the corrupt things, even though the emails that were hacked by the, by the DNC were pretty damning, she also got rid of a bunch of emails. I mean, when does she do her live rendition of beating her electronic devices into a fine powder? that Bill Clinton will inhale off the ass of some Epstein Island service slave. I mean, when does that happen? So Elizabeth Warren has her working for her, and the thought of an Elizabeth Warren nomination, not much less a presidency, is pretty unnerving to the financial district. I'm going to play a couple of clips. First is Stuart Varney. He's a financial analysis with Fox News. Now, it's Fox or Fox News business. Remember, it's Stuart Varney. So he was more pro-Trump, but he gives a good analysis of what an Elizabeth Warren presidency would be like. Elizabeth Warren has been gaining ground. In many polls, she is now right behind Joe Biden and the gap is narrowing. She bashes the rich and she bashes capitalism. To far-left activists, that's good. They love her wealth tax. They love the revolution she demands for corporate America. So let's look at those policies. What impact would they really have? Okay, her wealth tax uh, would have cut the net worth of the 15 richest Americans in half. Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates would have had hundreds of billions of dollars confiscated. Now, some people think that's just fine. Huh, they don't need all that money. It's not fair. Senator Warren is playing to the jealousy factor, always present in politics and always ugly. Truth is, accumulated private capital is the engine of growth and innovation for the future. Confiscate it and we all suffer. Then, more importantly, there is her Accountable Capitalism Act. And this is a real threat to everybody's money. Senator Warren would force all big companies to take a lot of their profit away from shareholders. And it would be given to the workforce, the community, customers, the local and global environment, and community and societal factors, whatever that is. America's great companies forced to dance to a socialist drumbeat. Forget about investing in stocks for your retirement. The profits that support stock prices would have been diverted. 73% of the value of all stocks today is held by people over 55. Stocks are your retirement vehicle. Warren would ruin your retirement. The bottom line is this. Socialists don't redistribute wealth. They destroy it. Yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah, I can agree. And now here is a juxtaposition with... A CNBC analyst. Everybody knows who Jim Cramer is. If you don't know who Jim Cramer is, he's the guy, the stock guy that's been on there since the inception of uh, CNBC. But listen to him talk about Elizabeth Warren. But how is it possible that this company cannot find a CEO? 
I mean, are they worried about Elizabeth Warren attacking that? She, she, of course she they or are. he would be. Of course they are. And of course that person is. Why wouldn't they be? I, I, I don't know. She, if she becomes president, what do you think is going to happen to the banks? Well, it's not a... It would be a suboptimal situation for the banks. She right. You think, you think Elizabeth Warren pushes banks into a... Well, they're already down 20% from the highs, but... Yeah, I just think that... You know, there were these uh, hearings in the 30s uh, where they brought rich people in front of Congress and just kind of trashed them. It was effective. Oh. It's about 20 years later, we had the least uh, discrepancy in incomes in the 50s and 60s, right? I don't know what's going to happen. I, look, I've got to tell you, when you get off the desk and you talk to executives, they're more fearful of her winning. I mean, I've never heard anybody say, look, I, I, she's got to be stopped. She's got to be stopped. I, I don't know. It's, she's very, uh, she keeps going up in the polls. Uh, she's raised a ton of money. She's uh, going to win Iowa, time. I believe. Uh, she's a very compelling figure on the stump. By the way, uh, I hear it too, and it's another reason why companies are being implored to do things now. If you want to get something done, you really think M and A or anything, think about doing it soon because come early to mid 2020. If Elizabeth Warren's rolling along, everybody's going to be like, that's it. So you're hearing it, too. Oh, yeah. I wonder what China says about that exact question. Oh, yeah. Boy, she is so anti-pollution in China. Remember, she is a person who uh, talks about the, like like uh, Mark Benioff in his book coming out, stakeholder, the earth. The earth is a stakeholder. I worry about that. Benioff would probably be a supporter, wouldn't he? Of we don't know. Benioff she... is a, we don't know. Benioff is very close to the best. Uh-oh, Jim Cramer, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> you want economic collapse? Vote Democrat. Booyah! <laughs> I mean, that's what he's saying. <laughs> she's a raging communist. And not only is she a raging communist, she's not one 1,024th Native American. She is 100% descendant of a militia that rounded up Native Americans in the 1800s. <laughs> you can't even make it up. So she is actually the opposite of what would happen if, uh, you know, if you were to be in line with Native Americans. You know, she was, this is from Breitbart. And I, when I heard this, I was just floored. I always knew that there was some sort of uh, trail of tears connection, but this is amazing. Elizabeth Warren is a direct descendant of a militia Indian fighter who fought the Seminole tribe. Her great-great-grandfather, Jonathan Crawford, served in Major William Lauderdale's Battalion of Tennessee Volunteer Militia from November 1837 to May 1838, a six-month time period during which it fought two battles in Florida against the Seminoles. Today, there are two federally recognized Native American Seminole tribes, the Seminole Tribe of Florida, which has 4,000 enrolled members, and the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma, which has about 18,000 enrolled members. So... Uh, Lauderdale's battalion fought against the Seminoles at the Battle of Lachaxty River in the present-day Juniper, Florida, back in January 24th, 1838. And then on March 22nd, 1838, they fought against the Seminoles again at the Battle of Pine Island in Fort, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. A native of Virginia, Lauderdale moved to Tennessee, where he was known as the latest in a long line of Indian fighters. And that was written by the Daily Press right here in Virginia. Like other Virginians of his day, Lauderdale developed into an Indian fighter. In 1803, he marched as a Tennessee volunteer to the Louisiana Territory to fight for the United States against the Spanish and the Indians. So, again, Elizabeth Warren, the communist, Liawatha in chief running lie, Focahontas, is not even Native American. She is actually descendant of those who fought Native Americans. So we have to look at the fact that this has to be a product of, of bad colleges and, and bad schools because you have these youths, these youths. <laughs> you got the youth who is all enamored with Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders is such a crotchety old, uh, unlikable grandpa that get off my communist lawn. He's basically losing support, but she's gaining support. And she's taking his platform with him. And what's interesting is she started out, this is from the Telegraph UK, 
Elizabeth Warren has made a remarkable surge, was hovering around 4% at the start, and is now up to 18%. So there is a longing for this person to outdo Joe Biden. And now the debates are actually going to be recorded or going to be aired after this recording. So I'll maybe give some debate analysis later on another show. But um, just know that this is who the media wants. This is who the leftists want. This is who the AOC people want because Bernie isn't the one. Bernie can't. Bernie doesn't have the charisma. She doesn't really have charisma either, but she's female. And so they're going to elevate her when she is a giant walking lie. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Listen to us on Mojo 50 Radio. You can find that on iHeartRadio or go to mojo50.com every Wednesday, 10 p.m. You can also listen to us on the weekends, Saturday, 5 p.m. Also, get the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted. And be sure to give us a review. Give us a good five-star review. That's going to help us go up in the ratings so we're more visible to others. You can also donate to the show. Go to patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show. Give $2 a month or go to anchor.fm and search Adrian Slade. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parlor, Convo, Snippy. Search Adrian Slade. Follow us on Twitter at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show, which is the official show page on Twitter. And you can also read the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store on the Roku streaming channel store. Be sure to download the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.